Hey, 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 good morning, good morning. Happy Sunday, you all. Well, if you're here and I'm here, I can say welcome to Weightless and Mind, Body, and Spirit with Dr. Carol Penn. I am uh, on fire this morning. I'm excited. I woke up nice and early. I rolled out and I had my morning. We have such a special guest coming to you all this morning, coming to you all this morning. But first, in case you're tuning in for the first time, who am I? I'm Dr. Carol Penn, doubly board certified in family medicine and obesity medicine. I am also your master movement meditation and mindset coach, two-time best-selling author, blogger, podcaster, wife, mother, daughter, sister, friend, and all those things and a 360 degree life as I know you are as well. Now, why do we call this show Weightless in Mind, Body, and Spirit? Well, as an obesity medicine specialist, I know how important it is to work with your body, your entire body. So it's not just about the 10 or 15 pounds that you want to lose. For some, it's about losing much more weight than that. But we do know that this chronic disease is a chronic relapsing multifactorial neural behavioral disease where an increase in body fat promotes adipose tissue dysfunction and abnormal fat mass physical forces resulting in adverse metabolic, biomechanical, and psychosocial health consequences. I love it because it encompasses all of that. It impacts the cardiovascular system, the endocrine system, the gastrointestinal system, the renal system, oncology, hematology, pulmonary, neurologic, musculoskeletal, integument, and psychosocial. So all of that. And my super friends that I bring in the show represent all of those areas. So we look at it from a information and medical education perspective. And we also look at it from the emotional perspective. What does it mean to be weightless in mind, body, and spirit and be able to live your life easily and freely, right? So we co we go there, we go there. We've got it all going on. So let's see who has joined us so far this morning. You know I love to say good morning to the early birds. Good morning, Linda Parker, and thank you so much, you and Weldon. Thank you so much for those gorgeous flowers for the community mom, Yanni. She loves them. They're absolutely beautiful. Good morning, Karen Sunshine, all the way from Pakistan. I believe it's in the afternoon there. Are you celebrating Diwali uh, this weekend? My goodness. Good morning, Marianne. Good morning, Dr. Jekyll. Great to see you. It was great to see you. What was it just on Thursday night? So good morning and welcome. All right. So I can see the early birds are getting up. So without further ado, I want you to, first of all, y'all need to, you know, grab however it is that you take notes, you know, so old school, I'm going to say, you know, pen and paper, but I want you to sit back with your cup of coffee. And I want you to get ready to meet my super friend, Dr. Ken Richmond. So Dr. Ken Richmond, 
who is he? He's one of the nation's most acclaimed adult psychiatrists. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring him on so y'all could just see him because you know we want to see him blush because he's got a lot of accolades here. Oh my goodness! So we have, good morning, DM. Welcome, beloved. Hug a mug of joy. Good morning, Dr. Tanya. Welcome, 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 welcome. So the community is gathering, and it is so delightful to see you. But let's uh, let's meet one of the nations top psychiatrist. There he is. There he is. So we're just going to bring on these accolades. We're going to bring on these accolades. As one of the nation's most acclaimed adult psychiatrists, Ken Richmond, MD, aka Dr. Ken Richmond, is a board certified psychiatrist who is also a nationally recognized author, speaker, and consultant. In addition, he is a sought-after media expert regarding the importance of improving soft skills in the workplace and a thought leader in the area of leadership coaching. Dr. Ken consistently meets with individuals and leaders traveling the country to instruct and provide seminars to leaders who want to level up their organizational effectiveness by developing their human capital. And don't we need some up-leveling in those areas? As a trained physician with a disarming personality and unique (laughs) virtual experiences, it will become obvious why Dr. Ken has become trusted as America's organizational physician. Dr. Ken discusses ideas and real world strategies to help individuals desiring to overcome the impact of addiction and psychiatric disorders and the various levels of their lives. Dr. Ken also shares medical expertise via his popular Facebook live streams. Yes, we like you all to know about these super friends so you can follow them and get great information And this helps leaders uncover their mental roadblocks on their path to leadership success. His mission is simple, lead with care. Dr. Ken earned his doctorate of medicine degree from the George Washington University and completed his internship and residency at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. So let's welcome Dr. Ken to the show this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much. Good morning, Dr. Carol. How are you? I'm doing great this morning. I am just, you know, I'm I'm blessed. I have seen a sunrise, another sunrise. One of the most glorious things that a human being could witness is a sunrise and a sunset. So I am thrilled. I am thrilled. So how are you? And tell I just want to jump right in. Why psychiatry? You know, mental health is so important um, in the um, in all communities. We particularly, you know, in the African American community. But let's hear your story. Let's hear a little bit how about how Dr. Ken got to be Dr. Ken. Yeah. Well, good morning to you again, and good morning to your uh, your viewing audience or and, and or listening audience. Um, I'm Dr. Ken. Um, I appreciate the introduction. Um, I'm a board-certified psychiatrist, as Dr. Carroll said. Um, when it comes to me thinking about my story or my interest in psychiatry, it all started um, seeing homelessness. I grew up on the Virgin Islands um, in St. Croix. And, you know, you'll see folks walking down the street, talking to themselves. You, you know, you see families not able to respond to a loved one who is having psychiatric distress. And frankly, you didn't have anybody talking about psychiatric conditions um, because of stigma, right? 
Um, you have that in a small community like an island, you have that in a, in a community as you know, African-Americans or in different cultures for that matter. And I found it interesting when you saw the brain or at least you, you, you recognize that the brain when it wasn't functioning correctly, how it affected behavior, how it changed how somebody, how somebody functioned. Like, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't maintain employment. You couldn't maintain relationships. And those things were interesting. I found them interesting. Um, how we interact, how do we build relationships, sustain relationships. Um, and ultimately, you know, if you can't function on a day-to-day basis, how can you maintain employment? Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I have to tell you, you, I absolutely love the brain. I love the brain. Last year, I do a a holiday theme every year for the family. And last Mm -hmm. year, our holiday theme was the brain. And we all had t-shirts on with, you know, the the brain and, you know, it's like, because that's it, right? I love the neurobiology. I love the physiology. I love the structure of it. I love the mystery of it. Uh I love happens when we take care of it and I am fascinated as to what occurs when something has gone awry. So you might not know this, but my mom spent her career as a psychiatric nurse and she became the first African American director of nursing at Marble State Psychiatric Hospital in New Jersey. So I, I grew up with this stuff. I grew up with this. It was really, uh, you know, quite an education and an exposure as a as a young child. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Doctor Ken, when you think about what's going on in the world right now, and you're going out and you're, you know, doing this organizational leadership training, and you're going into an organization. What are you looking to do and how are you looking to interact with that organization? Well, well, first you're trying to identify the culture, right? What is a culture? Is it, is it one where mental health is one of those topics that is talked about or shunned? Uh, is it one where there's support um, being identified? You're trying to figure out ways how you, how you can get your, your workforce to do more to work more effectively, or is it just, as we say, lip service? You're trying to check a box. Because, you know, folks can tell when you're being genuine. I, I use the example of if you're constantly being put down, let's say by a supervisor or a boss, and when you're in a crisis, that individual comes around you and they appear to be supportive, are you going to be receptive to that person in that moment? Or are you going to question their motives? Right? I think more than likely you're going to question their motives because you're like, okay, you're always negative, And all of a sudden I tell you I have a significant issue and now you're supportive. It makes it hard for that person to reconcile that, the two images or the two, the two ways of interacting with that person. And that leads to why people tend to withdraw. So you look at, yes, the culture, the leadership, how open are they in having conversations that are rather difficult to have? And you obviously want to maintain confidence with them. You know, if you have a lot of gossiping going on and everybody knows each other's business, that's also a red flag within organizations. It tells you that confidentiality is not is not a priority. So, yeah, usually, in other words, you look for these subtle, subtle um, presentations of of dysfunction. And then you try to target that and find ways of how you can um, alleviate that or remedy remedy them. 
little feedback there, so we have to do. So you know, this is the behind the scenes. You have to mute, then unmute, and all this kind of stuff when we're when we're doing uh, these type of programming. So. I have two thoughts about that, but we've got some very special viewers that I'm going to just bring on the screen for a minute to say hello. So good morning, Victoria. Victoria is one of the nation's top occupational therapists. Um, so Dr. Jekyll, he's saying good morning, Dr. Ken. He's one of our top health coaches. So, you know, again, we are, you know, excited. So who I don't know Sochi, but welcome Sochi and good morning to you. So excited that you're here. So, and my beloved is saying, mind your wants, because there's someone who wants your mind. <laughs> this is so true. And good morning and welcome to Dr. Dietrich, Dr. Dietrich. So we know we love Dr. Dietrich. One of, uh, this is America's relaxation doctor. So we've got a great gathering here this morning. So one of the things, uh, a question that I, I'm putting out to you. So, you know, at one point before we had this pandemic, you were actually going into organizations. So there'd be, you know, there you are in the corporate boardroom, the stakeholders are gathered and you're giving this in-person guidance. You know, you mentioned the term, you know, is your organization infused with the disease of gossiping. So people, you know, don't feel that it's a safe place. And, you know, often think of people gathered around the water cooler. But now we're not gathered around the water cooler so much anymore. We've actually had to pivot and switch and go, you know, People are, are, you know, they're in the Hollywood squares. They're doing the Zoom and all like that. So how do you work with organizations in this virtual synchronous world that we're all working in now? And just remember to unmute. Yeah. So and, and good morning to the, to the guests that uh, have shown up. Um, the virtual world is just interesting. I think it's frustrating in some ways, helpful in others in other ways. And when I think about, let's, let's use an example with anxiety. Let's, let's just talk about anxiety because I think sometimes we have a lot of anxiety about even being on camera, um, even if it's in the comfort of your own home. So that's, 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 you know, let's just put that out there. Let's say you had somebody who was, let's say they have social anxiety. They, they're, they're, they get nervous when they're around other people. You tell that individual, hey, you know, now you can work from home. That person is going to do well. They're not around people, right? Because people is, is a trigger for that individual. Now you have somebody who is an extrovert, somebody who likes to socialize, and you tell that person, hey, we're going to work from home. <laughs> <laughs> They're not going to do as well, right? In other words, the body going to reach out in more ways to try to connect. And, and by doing so, it can, that, that behavior can become overwhelming. So when you talk about how do you work with individuals who are now working in a, in a virtual environment, you have to figure out how does that person typically work? I mean, you have to be re really, really mindful about what their personality is like, what their leadership style is like. In other words, if I'm the type of person who stops by your office when I have a question and now I have to decide, do I call, do I text, or do I send multiple emails? Can you see how that can become overwhelming? So I think it's recognizing your own leadership style or your own management style and figuring out how do you tweak that to still be effective in the workplace? Well, do you 
have any tips or points that we can give our viewing audience about how does one identify one's own leadership style? I'm, I'm glad you asked that question. So one, you can get feedback, you know, feedback from a previous supervisor, your current supervisor, somebody that you trust, somebody who can give you honest, um, you know, honest feedback about what works and what doesn't work. And I think for the most part, we know what our strengths and weaknesses are. Obviously, I always emphasize focusing on your strengths. As I tell patients all the time, your strengths are what, you know, pay, will pay the bills and your weaknesses, not so much, right? So you focus on what you do well and not so much what you don't, what you don't do well um, with. Um, so you want to be able to do what an inventory, a personal inventory. Are you, do you communicate well? Are you approachable? Right? Are you the type of person where your face, you know, they have these terms for resting, whatever face, you know, and, and, you know, you have a mean mug or you're pleasant, you're welcoming. What is that like? Are you the type of individual who likes to delegate, appropriately delegate tasks, right? Or are you that one who has to be in the forefront, in control, what we call that command authority kind of, kind of a, a um, leadership style? Um, or transformational. Do you inspire others to make change? Do you inspire organizational change? So when you take an inventory on how you've performed in the past, it helps to inform what you're doing currently and or how you're going to perform going forward. And as you know, with leadership, it doesn't stop. You, you don't you, you don't achieve one specific form of leadership style and, and that's the end all be all. If, effective leaders tend to be the ones that have a blending or 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 different traits of the different leadership styles. So in some way, I'm really asking, you know, our viewers to do a little SWOT analysis of, you know, strengths, opportunities, you know, challenges, all of that. So I'm going to ask, you know, those of you that are viewing, go ahead and jot down right now, you know, what are your strengths? What are the weaknesses? Mm -hmm. What are the, you know, the opportunities, right? So you want to, you know, look look at all that. And I like to, if there is, you know, an area of weakness, you know, you can reframe that as an opportunity. This is a learning edge. This is a way that you can grow. Because every single person who's viewing this morning is actually a leader. They are, the, you know, this, this is an audience of leaders. This is why, you know, they get up. And, you know, we're here, the early bird catching the worm. So right. strength, weakness, opportunities, and threats. So, you know, what do you think of something that's going to, you know, threaten you or, or throw you off of your game? And I also want to ask our viewers, and if you can do your little SWOT analysis right now and just think, you know, two or three things in each of those areas, Go ahead and drop it in the chat. Go ahead and drop it in the chat. And, you know, we'll do some, uh, get the Dr. Ken to do some laser coaching around your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. All right. So, you know, you can see his brilliance here. We want to experience that. And then also, I would like to ask a question of you all. Why is it that there is such stigma around mental illness? Why is it that we allow this to persist as a medical community as well as as a professional community? 
And, you know, what do we need to do to be a transformative community to shift that? Now, y'all are brilliant. So there's the problem. There's the challenge. What are some of your thoughts around that? So we are going to uh, get right back to uh, Dr. Ken and some of his pearls, because what I'd like to do now is talk about soft skills. So when you talk about soft skills, could you define soft skills for us and then give us some example? Could you talk about cultivating soft skills? Yeah, that was a nice, that's a nice segue into, as you mentioned, weaknesses and, and really, really developing that. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the, uh, the comments are on that. Um, so soft skills, you know, it's, it's not, it's not, it's, by, by definition, they are the intangible um, skills that someone has, the intangible presentation, intangible um, characteristics that someone has. An example would be empathy. Can I see empathy, right? How do you develop that skill? Communication, right? That's a soft skill that's also there. So these are skills that are effectively um, they, they, they relate to interpersonal interactions, just your level of, it, it plays on your emotional intelligence, right? How in tune are you? How aware are you about your own emotions related to various, various circumstances that may come up in, in the workplace? What's your temperament like? Okay. So those are the soft skills that we, that we typically experience. So an example would be, let's say you have a, a coworker, an employee, a colleague who um, recently recently lost someone. Mm -hmm. Do you know the words to use? How do you teach that? How do you teach someone empathy? You know, we go back to medical school. How do we? How do, some of this stuff? Some of these skills are inherent, right? They're innate to us. It it comes easy. Some of us we learn it along the way by being in situations that will that would cause us to, hey, what did I learn from that experience? What did I learn about myself? What did I learn about the other person? How did I relate to them? So when I talk about that whole mission of lead with care, hey, I care about the fact that, you know, you're, 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 you're in a state of distress and I want to be able to alleviate that or at least respond to it in some way that makes you feel like we're on the same page. Empathy, hard to teach, but it's really imagining yourself in that, in that other person's or in that person's shoes. What are they feeling? What are they like? What 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 do you imagine that experience is for them? You know, we may not do that enough, but if we started to, I think we'll start to shift one how we understand and how we interact with one another. So that those are some of the soft skills. And then communication. Are you a harsh communicator? Are you um, a direct? You know, folks like to say I'm direct. Not me per se, but. <laughs> when they describe themselves, they're like, I just tell it, I just tell it like it is. Everybody may not respond to that. You know, when you get feedback in an annual review, for example, is it, hey, here are the 20 things you did wrong, here are the two things, uh, two things you did right, and um, I'm gonna give you an average average rating, because that's that's really all you got. Instead of empathizing, coming up with a strategy of how you deliver good news, how you deliver bad news, and how you inspire someone to continue trying <laughs> in the workplace or, or just in any relationship for that matter. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that um, 
I certainly hear from a lot of our, our colleagues in, in medicine is, you know, the abuse of nature of many of our, our workplaces. And so, again, you know, you're sitting in that leadership seat you know, how is it that you inspire the person to take the next step so they feel elevated as opposed to oppressed? And this is, you know, one of the reasons why a lot of people are stepping away and leaving uh, traditional uh, medicine practices, among among other things. So we got a couple of comments here. So Marianne is saying writing and analysis equal strength, equal strength. So we're inviting our viewers this morning to do a little SWOT analysis of your own leadership style. So you're going to, you know, drop your strengths in the chat, your weaknesses, your opportunities and your threats and with a really, you know, paying attention to your opportunities. And, and Dr. Ken will do a little, you know, sort of a laser uh, coaching around that. So let's see, we have DM, threats are often from outside and the fear of them can be a trigger to anxiety and the possibility of, of creating a deer in the headlights persona. Another comment here, leadership of compassion is usually linked to feminine energy. And this is within all genders, but males are often programmed to suppress this gift. So um, good and also good morning and welcome to Dr. Leslie. So we're glad to see Dr. Leslie has joined us. All right, Texas in the house. So let's go back and maybe uh, reflect on some of these um, comments. And I'm just wondering, you know, writing an analysis, you know, so that's the strength. Does anybody else out there feel like they have the strength of writing an analysis? That is definitely a strength. And then we'd add to that, you know, so what are the weaknesses? What are the threats? And what are the opportunities around that? So um, if writing an analysis is a strength, that suggests that this, to me, that this person might be a more of a linear thinker. So, you know, that, you know, that analytical mindset and approach so what might be some of the weaknesses to someone who's heavily analytical? What might be some of their threats? And what might be some of their opportunities, Dr. Ken? So, okay, so I appreciate that question from Marianne. Marianne Harrell, thank you for that, um, that comment. Um, so a weakness could possibly be how long it takes to get to that point. Um, you know, sometimes we can have we can be over analytical, we can overthink a situation. Um, the writing, we can deal with some, some mental blocks, no, no pun intended <laughs> to, to the background there. Um, uh, you know, we, or, or writer's block, so then the information doesn't come as smooth as we would like it to be. Um, opportunities, well, for one, you, you know, it, depending on how long you've been doing writing and analysis, you can, ideally develop that information in a, in a rapid manner. You can um, expand that, you can teach it. Um, threats, let's see, what will be a threat um, related to analysis? Well, you, you'll be able to assess the landscape. So market changes, um, workplace changes. If your department is, is consolidating or expanding, you can possibly see the you know, areas of, of liability or weaknesses in, 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 in that change process. Um, 
even even just and it's just it doesn't have to be hard tasks or or concrete tasks. It could just be people. You know, how do you analyze a new employee to the workplace? Oh, what is that personality going to be like? Is it going to be a good mix or is it going to be one that causes dysfunction? So Marianne is saying, yes, I've been told I overthink. <laughs> so, you know, spot on, spot on, Dr. Kennan. And again, it's a gift to have that critical analytical mindset, but can also be, you know, a roadblock where you feel like, okay, I'm not creative. So there's, you know, and if a person can marry creativity with analysis, boy, you know, can that really be useful in terms of, you know, uh, first of all, getting the data analysis, you know, and analyzing it and then being able to put it out there in your writing in a way that people can receive it and understand it. So great job. Great job. And good morning and welcome to Dr. Erica, another one of our nation's top psychiatrists. And now um, DM was talking about, you know, his two comments about the deer in the headlights uh, type of uh, persona and then, uh, you know, leadership with compassion being seen as a feminine quality, but seeing that, you know, overall, you know, as a strength. So how do we put those two together? So the weakness might be the deer in the headlights, but what are the strengths, the weaknesses, the opportunities and the threats if we combine those two? Well, to the point of the current workforce where you have women leaving the workforce, um, I think one of the articles I read a while back said it was like 800,000 women since the pandemic have left the workforce in some capacity, either in part-time or left it all together, versus 200,000 men. You see the difference there? So that feminine energy may be very different um, as we move forward uh, with, the, with the new workforce and the new workplace. But when you talk about opportunity, you know, so the strengths would be, hey, you know, have a male person, um, a male gender in a, in a certain position. Let's say it was held by a female um, before who led in a certain manner. Um, I was, again, I'm mindful of introverts versus extroverts. Certain so position, if an extrovert is, is holding it, they can be very much engaging. An introvert, not seen as a weakness per se, but it's they may be able to internalize information a little bit better. So it, it's, it's a lot of pluses and minuses there. So I think you can, you can do a SWOT analysis based on that position being by an extrovert or an introvert. Feminine energy, masculine energy, you can add those little influences in there. Opportunities would be something like, how is that, how can that organization grow? How can that department grow? Who can you bring in? What would be a good fit? Because it's always a matter of fitness. If a, if a, if a culture, if an organizational change is not in, in, a, in alignment with the culture, things are going to fall apart. It, it's just, it's just going to happen. If you're in a, let's say you're in a, an industry where, you know, social drinking is the norm, quote unquote, the norm. It's like, you know, just it's just what happens. Let's say you bring somebody who is opposed to drinking in that in that culture. You're going to have some clashes. They're not going to feel like you're one of them. You're not going to feel like you're a part of the group. Not that you have to be, 
but you have to understand the culture of that organization that you're coming into. So when we talk about threats, you can easily have somebody, you know, vying for a position. Um, the, the, the industry can change altogether because now you have somebody who's leading it who may not be on board with what the culture used to be. Um, so again, I, I, t I mentioned that the workplace is so dynamic. So dynamic. It's to, I mean, you really have to like identify a case scenario and then do a SWOT analysis just based on that. Yeah. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, it will. It will. You you can go in so many diff, um, di uh, different directions. Um, you can end up getting lost with it. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we're continuing. So, for those that are just joining, we're talking about different leadership styles, and we just decided to have some live, in the moment fun with it. And we're asking our viewers to do a SWOT analysis of your own leadership style. So, what are your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threat? And Dr. Ken is doing some real time tips and coaching. And it is, you all are just brilliant. And this is wonderful. So now we have from our beloved Dr. Dietrich, America's relaxation doctor, overall my strengths are compassion, empathy, and humor. Weakness, possible weaknesses, overthinking can also sometimes be too literal too literal. So again, you know, so Dr. Dietrich, what do you think the opportunities are? What do you think the threats are? And Dr. Ken, what do you think the opportunities are? And what do you think the threats might be? Humor is a good one. You know, I know Dr. Dietrich as well. And um, I know that when she is in a good space, which she usually is, like I feel I'm in a good space. I, I usually, um, I, put, I put on her post, like her laughter is contagious. I cannot watch Dr. Dietrich and be mad. I cannot be around Dr. Dietrich and be mad. So that's a strength. She's able to uplift individuals that are around her, which is why she's called her America's relaxation um, doctor or hashtag relax well. Um, <laughs> I, you know, weaknesses, she says overthink and tend to, tends to be uh, too literal. The fact is you know what those weaknesses are. Folks who are interacting with you, you have to get both sides. You have to you have to ask questions of what does that mean? Because you have your you know somebody says, "Hey, the sky is blue." You're like, "Yeah, the sky is blue." For most people, it, it can mean, "Hey, it's good weather." Right? It's you know the sun is shining, birds are chirping. It's a good day to be on the beach. It's a good day to you know have an outdoor event. Right? But if you're taking it as literal, oh, the sky is blue, and you ended at that point, that is all you took off or took from that, com that communication or from that interaction. So yeah, being literal is, is, is okay, but you wanna balance it out. Everything should be balanced as much as you can do that. Beautiful. All right, so here from DM, laughter is the most inexpensive and effective prescription a doctor can give. Yes, it is wonderful to laugh. It is wonderful to laugh and it, and it is good medicine. It is, there's a whole practice around uh, yoga called laughter yoga, where you know we just get people into a nice deep belly laugh. It also burns up some calories, so it's a it's it's good. It's and you know it starts getting those endorphins. Talking about the brain, so when we get those endorphins and we get the neurotransmitters flowing and balancing, that's all really wonderful. And good morning and welcome to the show, our beloved Patricia. So 
Now, let's, I got a whole nother, you know, category um, I want to go into in our discussion this morning. All right. So here we have, we're in the middle of this pandemic. Thousands and thousands and thousands are working from home. Some are educating children from home. (laughs) A friend of mine said, who's a brilliant, you know, brilliant surgeon. She said, this is just not my ministry. It's just not my ministry. She, you know, she has two boys. And I just, I so appreciate that about her for recognizing that's not her strength. That's not her gift. Let's see. So then we've got, um, if we're, you know, cohabitating, we have, you know, partners living at home. I've had people talk about the marital strain. Like, look, I said for better or for worse, I said in sickness and in health, but I didn't say nothing about lunch every day. <laughs> and that's from another orthopedic surgeon that I know. Stressful, stressful. Who's on what computer? What room? What are some tips that you can give to all of us for managing in this environment? Yeah, you know, we thought the workplace was dynamic and our home life is dynamic too. So if, if I can offer any recommendation for strategies to, to manage the, the stress of being at home, you have to, focus, you got, I mean, we have to focus on time management. It is no longer get up, have your coffee, drive to work, you know, spend some time socializing, then get, you know, get to the emails and those kind of things. Sometimes we wake up, we get ready and we're like on the computer. So we need to focus on that time management. So that extra time that we, we use for commuting, we need to put in some, some physical activity, some meditation. They can tune into you, Dr. Carol, um, at 7 a.m., right? Because you're, you're an early riser. <laughs> you got me up this morning, right? But, you know, we have to change our routine. So we have to, in other words, put some healthy strategies on some healthy behavior um, or behaviors in place to manage that. Um, prioritizing tasks. You ever like looked at your inbox in the morning and just saw like a whole bunch of emails and everything seems to be a priority? Everything cannot be priority one, <laughs> right? You focus, you have to restructure how you view your emails, how you, you know, kind of interrogate, hey, who do I respond to first? Um, is the, the first thing is, is email the first thing you, you need to do? Or is it figuring out what your priorities for, are for first before you focus on what everybody else's priority um, is going to be? You know, using, the, using that, um, that little flag, you know, the high priority is like the red exclamation mark. And then the low priority task or like the little, it could be a blue, but down arrow kind of helps you to, to, to triage your inbox. So you focus on red, high priority, and then low priority if it's in if it's understood that it can wait a day or by the end of the close of business to get a response, then that's how you structure that time frame. That's how you structure your 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 workload in some way. Right? So again, it's time management, restructuring your priorities. And the third one I would say is um, setting time limits. People do well when there's a structure. If you said, hey, you know what, every three hours, I take a 15 minute break if your employer would allow that. 
um, make sure that's you know that's clear with, with everybody on board. Everybody's on board with that. You know, you're able to take some breaks because that helps you to maintain your focus. You know, if I know I have to drive three hours, and you know I know I have enough energy to do that, I can focus on doing that. But if you tell me I have to drive 16 hours, I'm like, oh goodness, 16 hours. I don't got I don't have the time for that. Same thing with a workday. I have to work eight hours. Am I going to focus on an eight-hour workday or I'm going to focus on, hey, I'm going to work between now and lunch and get all these things done. And then after lunch, before I go home, I'm going to get the rest of these tasks done. So it's really a matter of setting those, those, those limits for yourself. Excellent. We have some comments and then another question that is going to take us down another avenue. So DM is saying, I find compartmentalization versus multitasking a major shift that works for me. So thank you for that. Um, and you see the, me, you know, peeking in the background. So yes, for those of you that don't know, DM is my husband. So that is me there peeking over his uh, beautiful shoulder. So here we have from Tanya, time management before starting your day. Start with prayer, exercise, and taking the time for self care. So yes, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, one of, and that's one of the things you know we say. We, we try to uh, offer a solution to a problem. So this is one of the things that I'm doing with that 7 a.m. You know, you know, morning, you, you're going to wake up. You have your work day. A lot of us no longer have, you know, an hour commute in the morning or 45 minutes or a half hour or whatever it is. And we don't have that in the evening. So can you take that time to really get yourself set up Organize it. And I'm talking about, you know, the inside map. So you mentioned, you know, to, you know, come to your day with that meditation, organize your morning. Recently, I have added going outside at sunrise and going outside at sunset to stop and notice, you know, stop. And that is one of the most, you know, people we collect pictures of sunrises and sunsets and each human being has a finite number of sunrises and a finite number of sunsets. Now, I ask you viewers, how many more you going to miss? How many more you're not going to notice? The most be extraordinary beauty comes to us day after day after day, and yet most of us don't take the time to stop and take that in. So I invite you to take that on. It's really been delightful for, for me. So here we have Patricia saying, there's nothing better than hit and delete. <laughs> all to my inbox. There you go. That's how you solve it right there. You just get rid of it. You just get rid of it. All right. So now Marianne has a question. So I told you, Dr. Ken, these folks get up early and they're ready. You know, man, this is not a sleepy audience. So Marianne is saying, what has changed in the last five years in terms of treating individuals with mental disorders? I appreciate that question, Marianne. Uh, I think we're talking about it more. And, um, you know, the good and bad of doing that is that in some areas, that's exactly what, that's all we're doing. We're talking about it more. When you, when you think of a mental health treatment as, a, as, a, as an entity, there's a lot of disparity in that. You know, physical health, in other words, your primary care physician or primary care team, when it comes to reimbursement, there's, there's, there's a distinct difference in how a mental health professional would get paid or reimbursed versus your primary care or other specialties. 
So there's, there's that discussion that's being had right now, a lot of lobbying, a lot of advocacy going on in that area. Like, um, you know, we have celebrities who are now more vocal about it. You look at like people like, you know, Taraji, you know, she has her foundation. They have, you know, other rap hip hop artists that are out there um, who are now more visible or putting it out there, bipolar disorder, postpartum depression, um, depression, for example. And, and obviously the big ones are things like suicide, you know, as, as, as frequent as those instances are, we have a lot of stress, no endpoint. You have, you have financial stress, familial stress, you have substance abuse, you have just society, societal stress. So that's, those are a lot of things that individuals we're all dealing with. Some, it, for some of us, it's, it's becoming overwhelming. And I think that the very least we are engaging more. Um, you know, we had our, you know, the AMA president. So she was visible during, you know, much of the pandemic. Um, putting, you know, at least a face for what psychiatrists look like, the input that can be offered, the medical, you know, in terms of, yes, we are doctors, you know, um, having patients be more open to have the conversation. And doctors, your primary care professional, healthcare professional, being able to ask those questions. How are you doing? Not, is everything okay? Question mark. And you hope that it's a yes. You know, it's like, how are you doing? Like, ask that question and really being genuine and really being curious about the answer that's, that you're going to get. Yeah. One of the things in the primary care world is that we're seeing more anxiety, more mood disorder as relates to the long-term sequelae of COVID-19. And again, you know, what is the response going to be from the medical community? Because this is a part of treating the entire person. So I think, uh, you know, I just implore uh, the primary care specialists that are out there, you know, in our audience to, you know, to read, to educate, to be prepared to rise up and ask that question, no, tell how are you doing? And then being able to offer resources. Sometimes a patient just really needs to answer that question and that, and that helps them feel taken care of, heard and seen and listened to. So now we have a comment here. Linda, we have to peel back the shame of asking for help, especially in minority communities. So there is shame and embarrassment. We'll let Dr. Ken chime in on um on that, and then we have another comment from Mary Ann. Yes, yeah, so oftentimes you have patients, communities who are not seeing individuals that look like them, right? The, if, their, if their perception, again, I say perception, if their perception is that when, I, when I've talked to um, a clinician of X race, I did not feel like they understood me and my experience and, and what I'm trying to describe to them. You know, an example would be some patients have told me this before too. Hey doc, if you've never had a substance abuse disorder, how can you be treating, how can you treat substance abuse? Right? It's like saying, because now we always like to compare it to the physical health space. If I've never had cancer, I can't treat cancer. Right. You, 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 we have to be able to normalize that experience and just say, hey, there are individuals that look like you. You have to be open and willing to look for that. 
for those individuals. Access needs to be a little bit better, right? Because that's also one of the things that I've hopefully, I think has changed over the last five years, you know, reflecting on that previous question, we're increasing access, we're becoming more visible, having, having those hard conversations. And it's, it's not just, you know, seeing a, a clinician when you need to be, you know, written out of work or, or, or receive a doctor's note. It's really a matter of how do we blend those two worlds? Because we have to be supported. One, one informs the other, right? If you can't work or you're not able to work or you lose your job, what happens to your health insurance? There goes that one. What happens to your health care? Right. And all of a sudden you're in this, in this dark space where sometimes people, they feel immobilized and paralyzed to do anything. Let's say depression increases. How many times are you going to see someone before they say, hey, you know what? I think your symptoms, call it, call it what it is. I think your symptoms are clinical. I think, that, I think this is more than sadness. It is more than, um, you know, saying something bad happened and you had a normal reaction to a, to a negative event in your life. Now, this is affecting how you function from day to day, how you maintain relationships, right? Marriages. If, you, if all of a sudden you were engaging and affectionate and now you're disengaged, you're no longer as affectionate, you're no longer responsive to that, to your significant other, like that's a significant change that, that you know, you can experience. So, yeah, peeling back the, the layers and really, really focusing on you know, identifying with individuals who can move you forward instead of keeping you, instead of staying stuck, that's going to be key to addressing stigma as well as, you know, promoting that conversation. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Ken. So Marianne comes back with, coming back with, thank you. What's the likelihood of offspring having the disorder and might they be able to cope with it better than a parent? All right, can you hear me? Yes. All right, perfect. So likelihood of an offspring having a disorder, so a, a disorder like anxiety, for example, um, let's say it is anxiety. Sometimes, you know, the offspring may have a more severe manifestation of it because their frame of reference is the parent or, or somebody close to them. Let me, let, me, let me just clarify that. If a parent is very anxious, let's say they had a panic disorder, it had a fear of being outside of their house. What they would translate to the child is stay indoors, do not leave the house. Outdoor, danger, indoor, safety. So that child would grow up with more experiences and, and clear-cut examples of what anxiety is like, what to do and what not to do. If that child, of that, if that offspring is presented with opportunities or is recognized what's going on with the child, they can get treatment, at least assessed earlier. Treatment can start earlier and uh, the prognosis could be better. So th those would be things to, to look out for. But again, it really depends on what is that example um, that they're seeing or what's their frame of reference. Oh, excellent. Thank you. So the next um, statement, I think you, you're probably going to address those um, healthcare professionals in the community that, you know, they're not all of the medical community deals with psychological issues, emotional issues. Well, we need training. We need um, education because, you know, ever at what point are emotions not a part of, of who we are? So from Patricia, I've been in the hospital since August. Once I tell a doctor I have depression, 
they drop me. So how, you know, what, you know, what can you offer to those of us that are healthcare professionals? Where do we go to get that extra training or that information that allows us to treat the whole person that has us not be afraid of a person who's presenting the depressive symptoms or just wanting to avoid, you know, that, that whole area, the psychological milieu, if you will. So, uh, you know, just to reach out to Patricia, um, and I'm sorry that that's the experience you're having um, when you interact with the healthcare setting. Um, uh, you know, hopefully that can change. And one of the things I would suggest to, to either you um, and healthcare professionals in general is reaching out or identifying what that local psychiatric society is in your, in your area. Every state typically has one. Right, there are different branches. So I would reach out there, go to their website, their executive directors. There's there's an option email. Get that additional information. Find out, you know, if the doctors, psychiatrists are accepting new patients. Find out who they are. You can always call your insurance um, company for sure, but they may they may have more information on on their their local website that you can access. From, from on the healthcare professional side, you know, doing the same thing, but there may be a colleague that you can collaborate with, right? Mm-hmm. As, as you know, Dr. Carol, I, I launched Richmond Medical Services about what two weeks ago now. Two weeks, yeah. The time was flying, and one of the one of the arms of that company is to consult with, um, help, you know, primary care professionals regarding, you know, mental health. Um, patients with mental health conditions that they are struggling to manage, you know, more or less in a consultative role. Um, but it, it, it increases access to some degree. And obviously, if, it, if it's a state that I function in or I have a license in, you know, being able to assess that patient and, and assist that healthcare um, professional with, with managing the condition, I think that's, that's, that's at least an opportunity, an option that can be presented to to not only healthcare organizations, but also for patients. Again, it's a matter of increasing access, decreasing stigma. You know, it's a, it's a win-win on all fronts if we really, really hone in on that. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things, you know, just, you know, looking at my own family history and looking at individuals, you know, who have struggled in this area It is so, I love the word that you use, normalize. Normalize, you know, we need to normalize. Okay, you know, we have our mental health, we have our physical health, the two are intertwined. Sometimes it's from the head down, other times it's from the the body up so that we, you know, we move away from the shame. We need to, you know, certain things seem to run in families. I ask people, to really, you know, look at the medical narrative of their family history, to explore that. And, you know, what are the themes? You know, is, is anxiety a, a theme? And is this related to intergenerational or historical trauma being passed from one generation to the next? I think, you know, again, these are kind of, you know, new avenues and, and, and different approaches to tap tapping in that just shows, you know, Trauma comes to us all. It is not something that happens over there to somebody else, but it is a lived experience and part of the total um, rainbow, if you will, rainbow of experiences of being human and that there are professionals 
in the world that can support you with that. And it is important, you know, each state and here in New Jersey, unfortunately, there is a shortage of mental health care uh, professionals. And, you know, that is, um, you know, very, very, very challenging. So we, and so we need, so the primary care, this is an opportunity. You need to step up and at least understand it at the level of, you know, 101, 101. So yes, Linda and Patricia, are, are sharing uh, some ideas and this is wonderful. So we have a really engaged, supportive community. They, you know, we help each other out, you know, it is the beloved community and that's also, so I'd just like you to have the last word to talk about the importance of belonging, the importance of being a part of a community and how this helps us in our mental health, have to optimize the health and wellness. Yeah, social connectedness um, is huge. You know, your, your support system. We think of um, self-help groups, things like AA, Alcoholic um, Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, etc. They create a family or a support system that should allow them or will allow them to stay the course in terms of their recovery, stay the course in terms of being held accountable. Right. So when, when that, that support system needs to be in place. So figure out what what. What that support system looks like is going to be different for everybody. You know, it could be one person, it could be a team of individuals, but they have to be individuals that move you forward and not keep you stuck. They also have to be individuals that hold you accountable. You know, I, I oftentimes it's, it's simple things as, hey, are you taking your medications regularly? Regularly, When you take them, you do well. Are you going to therapy as often as you should? When you do, you manage your stressors well. You don't let things build up and overwhelm you. So you have to maintain a level of social connectedness with the, those one or two individuals in your life that, that keep you that, that would keep you moving forward. So that's a big deal when it comes to you know socialization. Well, wonderful. you know, you just such a stellar guest, Dr. Ken. There's where you could reach out to Dr. Ken, drkenrichmond.com, find out what he's up to, find out about, you know, his new practice, find out his about his work in corporate leadership. And I just, again, thank you all for being such an incredible, engaged audience. And you all make the show that, because we could just sit and be talking heads and blah, 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 but it's really your participation that keeps it lively and interesting. So now we, uh, before I sign off today, just want to let you know what's coming up in the world of Dr. Carol Penn and Weightless and Mind, Body, and Spirit. Next week is our final show of the season. So I'm so excited. And we are going to be discussing gratitude, the science behind it, personal applications, and really creating and holding the space for, yes, yeah, so we're in the middle of the pandemic. This is our first COVID-19 Thanksgiving. Hopefully it'll be a last, but there's ways that we can shift. There's ways that we can power up and we're going to use our creativity and we're going to create the most fantastic Thanksgiving celebrations that our families have ever known. Yes, we're going to do it right here next Sunday. During the week, same thing. Meditation in a time of madness, the morning show. I'll be with you Monday through Thursday. We got to get ready for 
again, the gap, you know, my, my shows run an 11 week cycle. So Dr. Carol is going to have a little retreat. So Thursday, the 19th will be the final uh, for our fall season. And then we take about a month, a month long break. So we're having people, um, you know, Thank you. Great show. You know, Linda, Dr. Dietrich, Denise, great show. Patricia, I wish you could find a chronic pain group. Can't find one. Patricia, we're going to help you do that. Uh, Dr. Tanya, thank you. Have a blessed day. Victoria, thank you for another great show. Dr. Erica, this was a great show. Marianne, gratitude next week. Nice. Nice. And let's go ahead and let's have the audacity to pivot and create the best Thanksgiving that we ever did, despite it all. We could do it. That's the challenge. So once more, Dr. Ken, take us out with the last word. Take us out with the last word. Thank you, woman. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you. Hashtag Medical Moguls Academy. One of our deans is in the house. Thank you so much. And DM, thank you both. Thank you both. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you all for being here. Thank you all for being here this morning. And the, the last word or last few words will be to lead with care. Oh, I love it. Lead with care. Listen, y'all, I'm going to sign y'all. Happy, blessed, joyous Sunday. And Dr. Ken, I can't thank you enough. This was delightful, delightful, delightful. Thank you for having me.